Plucky Ladies Podcast, exploring female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence, hosted by Jess Cat. Today on Plucky Ladies, I speak with Mel Dominguez, a local Tucson artist from East Los Angeles, whose early inspirations were cartoons and graffiti art. Mel owns her own gallery here in town, Galleria Mitotera, and works extensively with her South Tucson community. Parts of our conversation get pretty heavy, but despite her sometimes difficult journey, Mel is always radiating joy and positivity. I hope you enjoy her energy as much as I do. Before we get into it, though, I want to briefly explain where the idea for this podcast came from. I'm an avid podcast listener, and most of my favorite podcasts get into the -the behind-the-scenes stories about people. Where did they come from? What makes them tick? And what did their journeys look like? There's almost always something relatable in another person's struggles and successes. In contemplating my own journey, an incident that always stands out in my mind happened in graduate school, when in the course of a conversation about my future, a trusted advisor told me, you're not that smart, but you have pluck. At the time, it felt completely devastating, a confirmation of my worst fears that I was an imposter and did not belong in a graduate program in geology. But looking back now, I recognize the incredible compliment hiding in that statement, the idea that I was plucky, courageous, persevering, and hardworking. I know now that being plucky is a wonderful thing to be. I meet women every day who have their own stories of pluck, and I wanted to highlight those stories here on a podcast about female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence. I hope you enjoy these conversations with women across many different disciplines, sharing how they found their way sometimes through tough circumstances, to their true selves. And now, plucky ladies. Thank you for being here. (laughs) So today we're talking with Mel, Melo Dominguez, who is a local artist here in Tucson. And I met Mel through my mother, who was a realtor here in town, who worked with your wife, Melissa. And... I knew instantly when I met you that you were just a force of nature and somebody that I wanted to get to know better. Your energy is just unbelievable. Thank you. And so I invited you to come on the podcast because I'm also fascinated by the fact that you are an artist who makes your living as an artist, which is not very common. Right. Right. (laughs) And so I definitely want to talk about your art today um, as we go through the podcast. But um, in the vein of wanting to explore um, female curiosity, or anyone's curiosity, but also how we get to where we are, I want to go back to the beginning and have you share with our uh, audience a little bit about your background and where you come from in your childhood. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm so excited, you guys. So I grew up with my grandparents. Yeah. I've always lived with them. My my parents uh, both had issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom liked to tell my dad a lot, you know, about what he should be doing and my dad decided to drink a lot of uh, beer or yeah. a lot of alcohol yeah. every day. Yeah. And um, so I ended up living essentially just with my grandparents and my mother and my parents separated. Mm-hmm. And um, I had two other siblings at that time. They were both younger than me. But um, I was just, I've always, my soul has always felt masculine. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've always believed in myself for some reason. Like I even believed that at some point I was going to be able to fly. Oh, <laughs> I, I just had to practice a lot. That, yeah. But, but that was my young mind and my sure. imagination. Yeah. Um, but I would wake up every morning with my grandfather at like 530 in the morning wow. and he'd be drinking coffee and, you know, eating some cereal with me. 
um, he was a, a master sawyer, so he worked in a lumber yard. Oh, wow. And uh, he's got a whole other, other story that's deep, but um, he would turn on the cartoons for me. Yeah. And I realized sitting there with him, like, he was laughing at the same things I was, and I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like, I felt so comfortable in the art realm. I felt like all the concepts that a lot of the cartoons were, like, presenting for it, like, you know, don't hurt each other, yeah. you know. Um, you know, just, it, they always had, like, some sort of sort of moral story at the end of their cartoon. Right. And I thought that that was an amazing thing that you can do, that if you knew how to draw, mm-hmm. you could communicate with any age mm-hmm. and any race and any any language. Yeah. It, it was, there was no barrier. Yeah. And I loved that. And where was this that when you grew up? Where were you? Oh, my. I was in East L.A., East so LA. in a little, a little city between... Uh, downtown LA and San Gabriel, Alhambra, South Pass. My my little city was called El Sereno. Okay. Yeah. So we grew up next door to like drug dealers and mafia, and that's where we actually had one of the first drive-bys. It all started basically in my hood. Oh my. Yeah. On top yeah. of parties and my parents, and so I grew up with a lot of a lot of action. Yeah. Um, action that kids probably shouldn't be. Yeah, shouldn't be seeing or absolutely. privy to, but this was your world. This from was a young my age. world. Yeah. And when I was when I turned nine, I wasn't sure if my parents were going to get back together. Mm-hmm. My dad lived a block away. Yeah. And it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't know what they were fighting about necessarily. I, I just sure. figured there's a solution. Make it happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but they were adults, and they knew more than I did. Sure. Yes, I had that experience as well. My parents didn't fight a lot, but they divorced when I was seven. And I remember my dad just one night saying, you know, my mom saying dad's going to leave for a while. My dad had his bag slung over his shoulder, and, and he just kind of left. And not understanding, where is this coming from? Yeah, I've never really seen them fight. I don't understand why can't you just figure it out. And you don't understand as a child that adults have very complicated relationships. Yeah, all the little details yeah. and maybe even strategies. I don't know. but Right, right. <laughs> well, one of those nights, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever shared this story with you, but when I was nine, uh, we all lived in the one room in my grandparents' three-bedroom home. And I was on the top bunk, and I woke up in the middle of the night because I heard a bunch of dogs barking. Mm-hmm. And in my neighborhood, those are guard dogs. Like, they yeah. really let you know when somebody's trying to jump your fence. Uh-huh. Um, but I looked outside, and I, waking up to something like that, I, I thought I saw a monster. What? Um, my dad, be, being upset by not being able to resolve the divorce, yeah. um, he decided to go and do angel dust. Oh, geez. And so one of those symptomatic things that happens is you you overheat. Sure. So my dad is running down the street naked. Oh, wow. In this East L.A. neighborhood that I just explained, you know, gangsters and mafia. So they saw this Mexican guy running down the street naked and, like, trying to come after them. Somebody stabbed my dad in the gut. What? And my dad started to pull his intestines out. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And he was smothering blood all over him. And he this was out a, of his mind. Out of his mind. Yeah. And I was like, what? I didn't recognize my father. Sure. I, it was something in my mind that was like, what is, am I dreaming? What is this? My mom ran in, and she's like, Mel, go to sleep. Cover your head. Go to sleep. Don't get out of bed. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And for s- some way, somehow, I fell into a deep sleep. And I didn't wake up till morning time. And yeah. I realized I was scared because I was like, oh, it was a dream. I'm late for school. And I jumped down off of the top bunk and I ran into the living room and I was like wait everybody's here 
and it's like a, a Wednesday or Thursday, and my mom's like in a fetal position. She's like, you're not going to school today. Oh gosh. And I was like, oh my God, that, that was real. It was real. It was real. Yeah. And uh, my dad lived. Yeah. He got arrested. <laughs> and my life was forever changed because at that very moment, um, I was already realizing, I'm like, my situation's getting just worse and worse and worse. At like, age nine, at eight, you're having this realization. That I'm at zero. Yeah, how does a how does a nine year old even comprehend what zero is? What that means? Well, because I was already thinking, I'm not gonna inherit a house. I'm not gonna inherit a car. All the things that a lot of people have that push them forward, so they mm -hmm. can get a, get ahead of things. Mm -hmm. I was like, I I'm gotta figure this out on my own. At age nine. Yeah. <laughs> and and being the eldest. Right. I, oh yeah, you had then, young siblings. Yeah, and then feeling inside the the masculine thing, I felt like. I was the oldest. I was going to have to take care of my mom and my siblings. Oh, my gosh. And so everything was rough. Yeah. Everything was because then I was dealing with my own, like, sexuality and stuff like that. Sure. And even some, some things that happened, the majority of my cousins, they're all male. Mm -hmm. And I was, a, like, I was touched in the middle of the night by one of my cousins. And that had already started something different. Yeah. Um, they showed me my place in the world where all that, you know what? you shouldn't play with your cousins then. Right. And I was like, wait, what? I have other cousins that I spent the night with them and they've never, that's not even, we're brothers and sisters, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or we don't do that. And yeah. we don't do that to other people right. either. Right, And so it was just this one cousin, but all of these elements made me feel like, you know what? Nobody's looking out for me. Right. Whatever I have. Right. Because I would, I would pour myself into art and into school. Yes. And every time I read a book or that was going through history, I'm like, I want to be these people that they're yeah. writing about. Mm -hmm. I want to keep myself busy. I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I couldn't figure it out. I just knew that I was, I didn't have anything in the bank. Yeah. And I needed to start doing something like that. So. Yeah. You couldn't rely on others or what was, you know, what you were going to inherit because yeah. it was pretty much a mess. Yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like your grandfather was sort of a bright place. Oh boy, in yeah. that chaos, yeah. Yeah, he he knew that that I like to do hands-on things, yeah. so I help I helped him put his roof together. Mm -hmm. We built a roof and we built a porch together. He right. was an artist, mm -hmm. but he had six kids, so he really didn't get oh into it gosh. as much as I did. Yeah, but um, we made time for each other, and I I like that a lot. But they yeah. they're my grandparents are more like my best friends. Yeah, so. oh, that's so beautiful. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and I think it's great for kids to have a relationship with their grandparents, but you really relied upon them yeah. um, more than a lot of kids do for that stability yeah. that kids need. Yeah, that, that, it's just there's something about seeing both male and female or just partnerships that yes. were they were there. They were solid. You knew that they were going to be there when you came home, Yeah, you know, things like that, or yeah. even even the other side of the coin where where I always felt like I was in a battle with my mom. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I still to this very day don't know why that happened. Yeah. Like I'm not sure if she was preparing me for life mm -hmm. or if she was trying to make me do the best I can so I, I didn't need to bother them with my life. Oh, yeah. So That's it, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't know what our parents are doing or why when we're young. Um, you know, when my parents separated, I did have a, a long stretch of time where I felt very resentful towards my mom because – I felt like she was the one who who drove the divorce. Like it was her choice, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
even though my father never said that to me and he never said bad things about my mother, I somehow, that seed had been planted in me that it was her who instigated it. And so I sort of felt like, you know, he was put out and I didn't want him out. I wanted him in, in the house. Um, but as I've gotten older and I'm an adult and I'm in my own relationships, you start to realize it's more complex than a child yeah. can ever understand yeah. what's going on with adults in your life. Yeah. Um, and I want to circle back to you. You're talking about the art piece yeah. because, um, you know, my son is a budding artist. You know oh, my son yes, and I he do. loves you. Um, <laughs> and this is one of the things I want to get to is your relationship with your community, which I think oh. is fascinating and beautiful. Thank you. Um, but my son Drew is one of these people who looks up to you and, oh. and loves the work that you do and wants to be like you and all of these things. And he said to me, make sure that you ask Mel <laughs> about when she was young how she got into art and how she found a way to do the art that she wanted to do. Um, was she doing it at school? Was she doing it outside of school? Where Where was your venue and how were you able to express yourself at a young age? Oh boy, yeah. I'm, I love your son. He's an amazing artist <laughs> yeah. and that's absolutely what happened to me. Um, because I couldn't resolve the, just trying to figure out what was going on with my family life, I started looking at okay, my options are, I gotta figure this out on my own with zero budget. Mm -hmm. So I would have paper and sketchbook paper from school that I would sneak out. I was like, I'm taking this, but my teachers always knew. They did. Yeah, they always, they so I had a lot of support from teachers and counselors that they knew that that was my outlet yes. and that, that was my, my safe space for, it would stop me from um, just keeping the wheels turning on something I couldn't resolve. Right. So this open space with the art, I was like, what can I do? I started trying to draw people. Yeah and draw like I was trying I would watch things like that happy trees and all that stuff like that guy Bob Ross yes. like and even even I know it's bad but Bill Cosby was one of the guys that I looked at during that time right I'm dating myself now but <laughs> but in both this, of us because right, I remember <laughs> you know he did Fat Albert's gang you know right and he did the same thing that Popeye did and he would introduce the skit by drawing it out just yes. a little bit and so I would always go outside and I would start drawing or I'd look at TV and I'm like, I'm going to start trying to figure this out because I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, I wanted to be on the same level as the teachers that I was going to meet yeah. when I got to college. Yes. And I don't know how I figured those things out, but it was just based on, on looking at things. And every summer yeah. I was like, I'm going to go and just be a hoarder in my room with papers and pencils. Yeah. And that was my thing because I felt like I needed to study to get good. Like that was my that was my craft and I needed to to study and do these things. Yeah. But I started figuring out stories too. Sure. Cuz that's what the cartoons were and I'm like, all right. How do I do this and how do I adapt to this? The only thing is is it was kind of sad is like my mom being a single parent yeah um she didn't make a and I feel bad saying this out loud but she really didn't make a lot of time to take me to galleries or museum sure, sure. you know and so my museum and gallery was street art yes and a lot of graffiti yes and and seeing it from different areas you'd go to the avenues and there was more blacas like more cholo letters you know mm. or if you went deeper into the la river mm -hmm. off the golden state or the pasadena 110 freeway uh-huh um you would start seeing big pieces of graffiti art yeah. and why that's important is because it was always changing yeah it was never the same mm -hmm. and if i was riding my bike mm -hmm. there was a chance that i'd run into the artist really and they were mentors they were yeah because they're like what you you're down here and you like art i'm all hell yeah and how old were you about this time when you're riding your bike around and finding this graffiti art i was 10 or 11, 10 or 11. and i had a banana seat 
yeah. that had blue flames <laughs> on it. I was like, oh. oh. I look back to my younger self. I'm like, I look like such a geek. No, but I but was it's so perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the L.A. River is full of concrete. They've done a, yep. a preservation thing there now where it's more has more biology and ecology there but when i was there it Mm -hmm. was like if you were caught down there you were gonna get busted really and if you were from another neighborhood you were gonna get beat up like yeah but then there was the artist that was like hey you're a chicana you know that and i'm like i'm a chicana you know i was like dude that's right yeah you know so i got introduced to a lot of history yeah and then so this other graffiti artist his name is nuke Uh from uti in la Mm -hmm. and and he was like mel do you know about Zapatistas, and we were we started talking about a lot of history, and I would then I would go to my local library because there was no, hey Google, <laughs> you'd have to right. go to the physical internet yes. and ask your librarian. Yes, I need to look at some Chicano art, yes. and I started figuring out that what the Chicano artists and muralists were doing, and that was to educate the community. Yes, the community that didn't have time to go to school and educate themselves, right, but still had the right to vote. They had a moment while they were driving or bicycling or walking to work um, to see a mural that was going to expand their mind of, about what their government politics were doing and how we right. should talk to each other. And so that's how I got into art murals and meeting other artists. I love that the other artists were actually teaching you things that you weren't getting at home from your family and that were very important to you not just for the art, but for who you were. Yeah. And you were getting that from people that didn't even know you who were maybe in a rough area and you wouldn't expect those people to necessarily be very welcoming, but they were welcoming to you. Yeah. That's crazy I and, think they, and awesome. I think it's because they saw me like really staring. Like I would, I mean, because as a human, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're an artist or not, you're really trying to figure out how did this person do that? Yes, it can, it's true in any field, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, I ex- have experienced that in science where someone has an amazing breakthrough or comes up with a really cool creative idea about the earth and I think, why never, didn't I think of that and how did they get there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So it's interesting you said your teachers were supportive. Um, That's where this question from Drew came from because he finds himself at school. And I think it's true, especially now, because school has gotten so intense in many ways and the kids don't have a lot of downtime and they're not given a lot of freedom in what they can do, where he has some teachers who will see him sketching in class and they tell him, that's awesome and they'll hang it up on the wall and they'll feature it and tell him it's amazing and then he has other teachers who will he'll get in trouble in class if he's sketching Um, and he's a good student he gets good grades he does his work but I think they see it as um, almost like a personal affront like you're not paying attention to what we're doing in class by drawing but for him that's his salvation yeah that's everything to him well not only that he already knows what he's gonna do with himself right well, I mean, he thinks. Well, I mean, yeah. he's 12, but yeah. he does really believe he's going to make do a life that's surrounded with art. I mean, that's what he wants to do. Yeah, that's our last true freedom. Right. Is to, the ability to imagine and create. Right. That's something I don't think that the robots, could, they got over on us yet. You know what I'm saying? Not yet. And anybody can do it, really, in any field. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not your career, I mean, it's something that people, I think, need to do yeah. on some level. Well, I, sometimes, you know, I get somebody in there that's not an artist, and they, they're like, why do I need this? You know, like, it's for a high school class, high-risk students. They're like, why do I need this? And I'm like, look, you may never be an artist, but as an artist, you can envision, how in the heck am I going to pay these bills? Right, <laughs> right. And then you kind of, kind of, you, you start using your imagination to ask, how are you going to get there? And you start envisioning yourself. So, yes, there's different aspects in art that you could apply to your life. 
Of course. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great, I think it's a great lesson for anybody to learn. Um, and it makes me want to ask you about, so we talk about your childhood, which is different than I think a lot of people's experience. Yeah. Um, and so what you experienced as a child, does that play into or did that influence why you're so connected with the youth in the community? I want you to talk a little bit about what you do with youth yeah. here in, in Tucson because I think it's pretty cool. Well, you know what? Uh, because of all the trauma, because there's even other stories that traumas that happen in my life on that neighborhood. Um, and what I remember is is being sent to school and my grandfather telling me, hey, you better go get an education while it's free. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd look at him and be like, he's serious. And um, and I would see the difference between like my second grade teacher who was just evil and mean and was very much about the clock. Yes. Um, and then I had really nice and open teachers like Mr. Tinter who was like, you know what? I know you come from a single parent home. I'm gonna, and I see your interest. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work with you. I'm gonna be very mellow and do things very easy. And they're very compassionate uh, towards me. So remembering what it felt like to be a young person. Yeah. Um, I look at all these faces <coughs> and what me. they might be going through um, in this, cause it's a different environment. Yeah. Uh, LA versus Arizona, it's, it's hotter here, that's one. So being, remembering that and, and being from LA and then coming to Tucson and knowing that I'm in a different environment, there's different cultures here. Um, and, and, and because it, Tucson's so strange in the way that it's large, but very small. Yes. And so you can really see the intensity, like you come to the university and it's forward thinking, like we're going to Mars. Right. And then, but you go down. <laughs> Literally. To, yeah, you go to the South side and there's a drug problem behind the police station. You're like, right. what? You know, so it's very extreme. And there's children that they go to school because that's their place of escape. That's right. You know, so when I go there and I look at the faces, I remember that that's their free time from being yelled at, sure, being judged and criticized. And to remember that there's these still these little neurons that need to be connected and, mm -hmm. and to know that joy is uh, contagious. That's right. And, and that's what I want from them because yes. I, I think that a lot of what's going on right now um, in our government and politics, uh, it, it, that too can be contagious, fear. Of course. And the fact of the matter is there, there is so much more that we can do in a positive way that I want the kids to know. And I think that all the opportunities that I've been given, yeah. uh, like being a resident artist at the Biosphere 2, a guest speaker here at the U of A, right. all of these opportunities, they're not for myself. They're to hand over to the youth yeah. to change the six degrees of separation and make that one degree uh, so that you know that it's attainable. Yes. I love that. Thank you. I love that so much. Um, it's one of the things I'm most impressed <laughs> with you about is just the fact that, you know, not only do you make your living doing what you love, and that could be enough, for most people would be enough, but for you, you feel a very strong sense of community and, and responsibility to your yeah. community, which I think is unusual <laughs> and also very admirable. Thank you. Yeah. And so another thing I read about you that relates in some way is that you say that one of your specialties is social justice art. So can you talk a little bit about that, like what that means to you and how your art plays a, plays a role in that? Yes. Well, because I've lived from 1978 till the 2000s we're in now, in 2018, and looking at editorial cartoons and, yeah. and all the, the ways that art and, and humor can get across a thought. Yes. 
um, without being too like pushy. Yeah. Um, and then our times just in these past 10 years have been, just been so juicy mm-hmm. as far as like, yeah. w- you could go either way. And it's, I mean, as an artist, it's like a big hunk of steak. You're like, oh my God, this is, I mean, it, we're lucky to be alive at this moment in time, but there is the, what you call, what you said, what you mentioned responsibility. Yes. It, you can't just be an eyewitness, you know what I mean? Right. You have to be part of that change, or as they say, be the change you want to see. Sure. And so when I first got here to Arizona, I tried to find an art position, you know, and it and I couldn't find anything, and yeah. it kind of looked like The Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you get to Arizona? 2007. 2007, so I was like, yeah. I was like, at, right before the recession, I was like, yeah. oh, my stomach oh, hurts. Oh, gosh. You know? And I was I was a tow trucker because I couldn't find a job. Really? Yeah. And so one of those contracts with the tow trucking company. Did have I shared this with you? No. Yeah. So I so I was tow trucking and it was hilarious because I'm five foot three, and I jump out the car and there's this big beefy guy. He's like, "You're here to help me," and I'm like, "Yes, sir." Yes, I am. <laughs> well, we had a contract with the Pima County Sheriff's Department, oh. and at that time they were violating people's rights, their civil rights with the SB 1070. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And so if you were brown enough or you you had a questionable look about you, Mm -hmm. they had the right to stop you to assist in Border Patrol Mm -hmm. and And Department of Defense. Yeah, and for people who don't know, it wasn't it um, they could ask you, demand for you to produce proof that you were legal. Right, like a passport or birth certificate. Right. Mm -hmm. Who carries that? Nobody. Well, I do now, just in case I get stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you can't... uh, if you can't show proof, they have reason to keep you until yeah. they can figure it out. And a lot of times, I have places to go. Well, yeah. You know? Well, not to mention that there's no reason for you to not be able to do that. Yeah. To like, go do what you need to do. You yeah, haven't done like, anything wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, but we had a contract. Yeah. And so I would be picking up seized vehicles. Yeah. Of people who, when you, because as a tow trucker, you have to go in and it's a seized vehicle because it's like a property of the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You have to document, you know, uh, radio, uh, a roll full of quarters, uh, a bag full of laundry. Yep. Uh, I never found drugs. Yeah. <laughs> right. I never found anything what they were, you know, talking about on the news. And it hurt me because in L.A., these people, they're, I mean, it might have been a sweatshop, but we were all working together and we were having a good time. Yep. When I came to this frontier, we were getting arrested and a lot of times they were found in the desert already dead. Right. And so... That frightened me. Sure. So that, and on the job, somebody sh- showed me a, a knife that had a Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan uh, emblem on both sides. Yeah. And I was like, that's the most real I've ever seen of the existence of the KKK. Yeah. And, and then to the deaths and the border patrol and the civil rights violations, it was scaring me to death. But at the same time, I remembered the responsibility Mm-hmm. And as a Getty intern at Self Help Graphics in East LA, that's like you have a responsibility. If you know more and you could do more, yeah. you better be doing that. Especially if you were our Getty intern, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, yeah, use what you got. So yeah. I I I designed this thing called uh, F1070. Okay. <laughs> and it, it's a drawing or illustration of a a man, a wife, and a child in a car mm-hmm. wearing a wrestling mask, and mm-hmm. the the man is asking, "Why am I being stopped?" Right. And so these social political drawings, uh, I could put them anywhere. Sure. So if I'm not there present as the artist to explain my work, uh, the artwork does it for me. That's right. And so that's how I use it. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is really soft. I don't do a lot of violent things. No. But um, 
a piece of my artwork was included at uh, ASU. Right. At uh, the School of Human Evolution and Social Change. Oh, yeah. And they took a forensic look at migration. So the whole show was forensics and science. Uh-huh. And they included me because of my artwork. Exactly. That I had desconocidos or unknown, unknown. crosses and uh, skeletons. Yeah. So I took a risk, but I thought it was important as an artist. So Day of the Dead is popular. Yeah. Uh, Tucson has created their version of that. Yeah. And I like, I like that. I actually appreciate that about Tucson, that mm-hmm. they did all souls. Like, they do something, they're in it. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, yeah. and that's cool. Yeah. But for a long time, for me, knowing that Day of the Dead culture, prior, you know, this is pre- Coco movie. Right. <laughs> um, I, I felt that there was a responsibility. Like, how can you celebrate Day of the Dead when there's three big red dots in the, on the Pima County coroner's map? And he pointed out to me that each big dot represented the size of 9-11 attack. It was considered a mass disaster. And uh, there was three of them on the map mm-hmm. that were on our border. Right. So there was three times the body in the middle of the day. I'm like, yeah. so as an artist, I try to, I try to open minds. Like Three it, times the bodies of the people who died in the trade centers yes, that are ma'am. dead in the desert because they're trying to, to cross. cross. And recently there was a, like a small, well, I shouldn't say a small group. There's like a hundred and something kids. That's right. I heard that. Yeah, so being here at the university, doing all these things and trying to keep it soft and open minds, my new thing is how will we migrate to Mars? if we can't migrate on earth i love that it's such a it's a valid question how do you migrate to another planet when we don't even know how to cross borders on our own Mm -hmm. yeah i find that fascinating and i think it's really important especially now as you say in this time that we live in because it seems as if we're living in a state of fear and everything is about insulating insulating keeping us all separate and I think the work that you do is not about that at all. And it opens, I, I mean, it introduced me to a lot of new things <laughs> that I never knew or thought about. Um, plus, it's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to tell people that um, you have your own gallery oh, here yes. in town. So tell everyone the name of your gallery and where it is in case they want to come and check it out because it's pretty cool. Oh, thank you so yeah. much for doing this. Yeah. Um, it's called Galeria Mitotera. Yeah, tell me, tell them what that word means because I love that story. Yeah, so mitotera, it's uh, in Mexico, it's used as like a reporter, yeah, or better known on the street as the gossip, yeah, like a busybody, <laughs> yeah, busybody, yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. that's that's pretty much who I am. I'm a busybody, yeah. you know. I, I, as a matter of fact, I was here at the U of A yesterday, that's right. <laughs> so you're I, so always I, doing something, yes, I love that about you. Thank you. And I, so, <laughs> so I'm at 1802 South Fourth, um, yeah. for Tucson's, uh. I'm across the street from Minidito. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Minidito, yeah, yeah. Yes. And I'm in between Minidito and uh, St. Charles. So yeah. we're trying to make it an arts culture destination. So mm-hmm. if you visit South Tucson, it's 1.2 square miles. And us as artists, we're going to try to take it over and paint murals. So I'd like to invite your son yes. to do one of those murals. He is dying to do something like that with you like dying to and like this past summer you did youth camps youth art camps um did you do them at the gallery uh yes yeah yes, I did. and he was so bummed because we were traveling I, all oh yeah i know he, I, he suffered there. in hawaii oh, oh right God. i know boohoo poor uh, him right you know what but, though yeah maybe i don't know if we could if there's gonna be a open project on sixth avenue and seventh street yeah um right there it says well wait it's 
actually it would be on the corner of sixth and sixth yeah yeah in between sixth and seventh yeah yep. um we're going to be painting on the street oh wow october 20th so oh, wow you have to bring drew down for that yeah yeah and so if people are um people listening have kids or other people they know who are interested in art check out your gallery but also on your website yes. which is is it galleriemitotera.com yeah galleriemitotera.com or you could always look up melodominguez.com or right and that's you could google me <laughs> google mel that's right because yeah. you want to see uh i mean mel's work is amazing on its own but all the things that you're doing i think are so worthy thank you and anybody who wants to visit your site might see something that they want might want to get involved in. I saw you had a paint night recently. Uh, was it a Selena? Selena? Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. Yes, it was. It was fun. And you know what? People were passing by because they were going to the restaurant. And I had a big group of eight people. I'm all, that was a big group for me. Yeah. Um, but they came from L.A. They came from my hometown. I was oh, like, but wow. they're much younger. But, <laughs> but you connect with them. Yes. You have something in common that you can connect over, and which is... Yeah amazing you don't often realize like just walk out into the streets are talking to people that you will find something to connect over absolutely and i love it because there's nobody in outer space everybody is here all, all the people you want to talk to they're on earth we're all here yeah <laughs> and wouldn't it be great if we all reached out to each other instead of yeah. separating from each other absolutely try to find our common ground yes um and we were talking i just uh want to ask you one last question which is um we we've talked about your childhood how difficult it was but do you can you recall a time in your life or a specific instance when you had to call on courage or pluck what we call pluck so the title of the podcast right is plucky ladies which comes from a story i tell about being a grad student and having an advisor say to me you're not that smart but you have pluck (laughs) and at the time feeling devastated by that right because you're not that smart but not realizing that the pluck part was a compliment and yeah. that being plucky means that you persevere and that you have courage and that you work hard. Um, and so I want to ask all of my guests if they can think of a time or an instance or something in their life when they really had to be plucky to get to where they wanted to go. And oh, you probably man. have many. Yes. But maybe there's a story that you particularly like to share with people that oh, might. Oh, boy. There, get I to mean, because <laughs> I've done all, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty crazy when it comes to that. I'm, I'm pretty plucky when it yeah. comes to that. Um, yeah. Oh boy! I mean, maybe even when we're playing just on the dodgeball team, yeah. And you know, when when the kids they're all line up and there's two captains or something, yeah. And they're picking people, yeah. They pick me first, really. Yeah, and that made me feel plucky because it it gave me a value, yeah. Without them telling me, they're like, "We're gonna pick you first, yeah. And I know dodgeball sounds funny, but and on the playground like it was a big thing like we had a championship thing going really? on yeah we we're like i'm gonna bet you a quarter i'm gonna bet you this you know yeah. and we would do it i mean sometimes it got a little rough you know like people yeah. try to aim for faces oh, you know yeah but i used to be able to jump and and i just i felt like that was plucky for me because a lot of people that i knew that either were still questioning their sexuality or even questioning just being accepted mm-hmm. um they would pull back like be yeah. those wallflowers and yeah. and i wasn't i was like no you, you better pick me you know because if not i'm gonna kick your butt on the dodge you know ball field so yeah and yeah. And, and you felt empowered in that way yeah i mean that that was in the youth but i mean i could think of other i mean yeah i've always i've always been in that gear yeah you know, like i'm gonna do this because i got nothing to lose yeah which is I think is such an important lesson for all of us to learn because so many of us are held back by fear and doubt and all of these things that, I mean, I went through it a lot as a young person and 
becoming a scientist where I doubted that why am I doing this like I really liked science but I didn't think I could do it I still kind of wanted to try it but it was very scary and I think a lot of people feel that way but you seem to have always had this energy like I know like I can fly yeah I can do this I'm gonna try this and earlier you attributed that a little bit to your to feeling masculine yeah um and for people who are listening and don't know you're born a woman but you do identify sort of male masculine masculine. right but I still want to include you on the podcast because um I think you're still very inspirational to women um regardless right and that that shouldn't matter because you are who you are and you're inspirational and the things that you do and the way that you do um but it's not all that it's not all a masculine energy that gives you that courage and that pluck that's something about you in particular and some of it may come from what you experienced as a child and having to be tough yeah and have pluck it well it was that it was that experience then with my father just being having that situation where I didn't even know if he was alive or dead right um knowing that I had to go to I had to go back to school where everybody saw my father running down the street naked you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So talk about being plucky. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't take it out on anybody else. Yeah. But I had that thing inside of me that I could do, I, I, I might as well try because I don't have anything to lose. That was, right. I mean, really what I felt to my heart. Mm-hmm. I still feel that on my heart. Yeah. You know, and um, my wife, Melissa, my partner, she's, she always reminds me, she's like, Mel, stop dressing like you're homeless like (laughs) you know you're gonna go to an interview wear some nice clothes but it's just that place that I kind of live in like like I nothing's this is not important it's more about how we make how we how we build on this earth our character on this earth that's right um we're limited time we don't Mm -hmm. we don't own the time that we have here Mm -hmm. um every day is important yeah um what kind of seeds we're planting and things like that. So I almost have that plucky approach towards life itself every day. Yes, and it's why, especially with young people, why I love how you work with youth so much because it is a message that I wish more young people would get and understand. You should feel free to explore and do the things that you love. Um, I've heard you say to my son on more than one occasion, (laughs) see, Drew, you can play at what you love and get paid for it. And you use that word play a lot because you have this very joyful relationship with what you do because you love what you do. And I, I wish that for everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I try to, I try to make it contagious, but um, really it's what you set forth in your mind, you know, and, and, and at times, and you could share this with Drew, uh, being a, just being an artist, whether you're you're male or female, is difficult because there's a lot of people going in for that job, or right. when you get a job, there's an expectation sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes those expectations can hold you in neutral, mm-hmm. and um, that's why you have to stay in play mode. Yes. That's why the artist needs a, a space where they or a prairie dog den, as I like to call it, sure, um, to to be themselves and to have that open space to create. Yes, um, because. It is um, it's a playful mood, you know. Yeah. And uh, people can feel that energy in the drawing or the illustration or the creation. Yeah. Uh, once they get the piece, and and that's where you want to be. And and it's nice to see, even sometimes without the audience knowing who I am or what I look like, that from that piece they they can feel some sort of joy or it invokes a, a memory that's joyful for right. them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely feel that way when I look at your work. <laughs> You know, I don't think I've ever looked at one of your pieces and felt depressed. 
Oh, good. And some of them, I mean, a lot of your work, like you said, it does focus on Day of the Dead stuff. You have a lot of skeletons and things, but every single one of your pieces has something about <laughs> it that makes it joyful. That's cool. It's very true. That's cool. Um, and I love that about your work. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, that, now you know why I do it. I want yes. it to be uh, approachable. I mean, because I could do fine art. I could, I could do, all, you know, I don't like using a ruler because of the name, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> it's a rule or yeah, like, ruling what you do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, this is the king's foot size. You know, I'm not with it, you know. Yeah, and I love, I've always admired, too, how you find objects around to use your art. Like, you'll paint on old pieces of wood that someone donates to you from their warehouse. Or you'll go dig through a dumpster and find frames that you're going to put your paintings in. And you, you gussy them up and you make them work for your, so... There is nothing pretentious about what you do. <laughs> it's all coming from your heart. I'm glad you could feel that. I feel that, and yeah. so does Drew, and I'm sure everyone else who's interacted with you feels that because well, it's absolutely so. true, yeah. This is it. This is our lifetime, you know? This is it, yeah. I want to thank you immensely for coming on and being my very first guest on you, Plucky Ladies Podcast because you are inspirational. And um, I want to invite all of our listeners to go to your website, to look Google Mel, Mel Dominguez, find her work online, go visit the gallery, Galleria Mitotera. <laughs> and again, thanks for coming, and I hope we get to chat again in the future. Thank you so much, Jess. It's Thank been you for awesome. having me. Yeah, yes, you're welcome. Absolutely. Anytime. Plucky Ladies Podcast is recorded in the studios of the Office of Digital Learning at the University of Arizona. Special thanks to the team for recording, sound editing, and photography. You can catch all episodes of Plucky Ladies on SoundCloud, iTunes, and on my website, JessCap.com. That's J-E-S-S-K-A-P-P.com, and click the tab labeled The Podcast. Send me a message with your Plucky story, and it might be featured on a future episode. Subscribe to Plucky Ladies Podcast and come along on all of my journeys into female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence.